Welcome to Navigating Education, the podcast. The podcast that can help educators from around the world navigate not only the present, but also the future. Through discussions of instruction, ed tech, policy, and school leadership, we're here to connect with you and educators from around the world to help them amplify student learning for the betterment of our students and their future. All righty, good evening, everyone. Uh, we are here for episode 38 of season two of Navigating Education, the podcast. And tonight, I have a special guest, um, Stephanie Howell, who is an, uh, basically a technology um, instructional coach from Ohio, and she has produced some amazing um, supports and resources for teachers um, that are using them across the world and it has made a major impact. So I wanted to sit down and talk to her this evening about, you know, what's she currently working on? What's kind of the trends that she feels like that's working for her um, in her work in her district, as well as with teachers across the country and the world. And um, just narrowing it down on some tools, some strategies so that we can help support your practice. And it's really interesting that her and I are in very similar roles. So it's gonna be a great conversation talking about what we're doing, how we're doing it, and how we can make an impact to our teachers and our students. So thank you so much for being here tonight, Stephanie. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk with you. I enjoyed our pre-chat um, chat that we had earlier. So I cannot wait to share some more information and learn from you as well. Yeah, for sure. And let's jump into um, getting to know you a little bit better for our audience and our listeners. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, what's your background in education and how did you get to where you are now? Yeah. So again, my name is Stephanie and um, a little bit about myself. Let's see here. I have a son. He's two. He is crazy, <laughs> uh, very strong-willed, a uh, very strong-willed child that doesn't give up. He's very determined. Um <laughs> Which, which can be a challenge at times, but I think when he gets older, it'll, it'll be a good thing, right? <laughs> or at least that's what I keep telling myself. Um, and then how I got started in education. So I actually hated school. Um, I was a student that had dyslexia, um, and I was diagnosed in the second grade with a learning disability because they never really named it dyslexia. Um, and so in second grade, I really struggled with school um, because the learning was direct instruction. The teacher taught from the front of the room. Uh, there were no small groups. Um, it was very much, if it was independent work, there wasn't a whole lot of ed tech support um, because the internet was just kind of being invented by that time. Um, and so again, I kind of went through school and I, I didn't really enjoy it. It was really difficult for me um, until my senior year um, of high school. And my, or it was actually started around my junior year. Um, of high school. I started volunteering in the MD classroom. So these students had multiple disabilities and I met them through my gym class. Uh, they were included in my gym class. That was like part of their inclusion time and their social skills and fell in love with these students. Um, we became really good friends and I started volunteering in their classroom uh, as a peer model. And that's when I found out I had to go to school for education um, because I realized that I could have somewhat of a difference in these students' lives 
um, that struggled with school and had all these different disabilities. Um, so I went to school for education or special education and I graduated and I did not get that dream uh, multiple disabilities job that I wanted. I actually got in a job where I was helping students with learning disabilities, uh, which brought back some pain points in my, my own life of having that own disability. And when my students um, really struggled, I started to see how the education system was failing them. Um, I noticed that, you know, we were teaching direct instruction. And so that Christmas break, uh, as a first year teacher, I went home, I got on Pinterest, I found this thing called Google Classroom. And I started to implement it in my classroom. And I saw the amazing results that my students um, started to have. And these were students that really struggled with reading, they struggled with spelling, uh, they struggled with getting their ideas out there on paper, their organization of writing, all of these different things were a huge struggle for these students. Uh, but because of Google Classroom, and Google Classroom looked crazy back in 2014, <laughs> and it does now, um, and they were able to have spell check. They weren't having me over their shoulder reading them something. They could actually listen to the computer, and it was an awful voice back in 2014 um, <laughs> compared to today. And so my students really started to excel and I saw all of this growth just from using a little bit of ed tech. And I was that crazy teacher. I was like, we're only using Google Classroom on Fridays because I was afraid that engagement would go away. I was afraid that they would use it in like crazy ways. So I was like, okay, it's just a Friday activity. And every day they would ask me for to use it every single day. And I was like, no, it's just for Fridays. Like we can't use it every day. You know, I was like scared of like losing this excitement. Um, which led me into using it every single day with my students, teaching them the, like the executive functioning skills that they needed to be successful um, and teaching them the advocating skills that they needed that I didn't have. My mom had to advocate for me a lot of times when I was in school. Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got to where I am. I saw the purpose in ed tech, applied for the ed tech coaching position um, because I was really interested in helping adults transform their classroom to help all sing every single students. Um, so now I help students who are gifted all the way to students who are um, MD or have those multiple disabilities uh, and everyone in between. So it's crazy. It's fun. Uh, yeah, I love my job. <laughs> no, it's funny. It seems like uh, we started using Google Classroom about the same time. So I definitely uh, enjoyed listening. It gave me some nostalgia back in the day of using Google Classroom when it was, the functionality wasn't, it was kind of clunky, kind of like maybe uh, Canvas like nowadays or whatever. But I mean, I feel that um, it's come a long ways. And, and I like how you use that tool as, you know, you kind of sequenced your way to it over time. It's like, you know, the, you know, generally, you, you know, you're trying a tool, you dip and dab a bit and then see how some strategies work, do the kids enjoy it and meeting our learning goals. And then you're like, okay, well, what else can I do with it? And you can see over time that, hey, this is this is great. And it becomes more of that mainstay in your classroom. And I think that uh, as instructional coaches and technology integrations, I think that's kind of like kind of puts a, um, you know, a target on exactly what we're doing, uh, you know, every day. And um, I noticed that we have Samantha joining in and uh Thanks for the comments, Samantha. So yeah, so it's really interesting. Uh, similar pathways as me, um, you know, being in the classroom and then moving into this role. So 
I want to jump into, you know, that role specifically. And can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are some tools and strategies that you're using? I mean, I want you to talk a little bit about, you know, what's that, you know, what's working right now for teachers in your experience in your district, as well as what you're seeing, um, you know, across maybe North America right now? Yeah, there's all kinds of different tools that we're using. And I feel like it varies from teacher, uh, depending on what kind of students they have in their classroom. Uh, we're a district that's really focused on personalized learning. Uh, so what that means is we're kind of focusing on blended learning, and that would be the strategy that we're using. Um, so every student um, kind of took an increase of technology uh, online during COVID with their playing their video games, um, having to have instruction, videos, all that kind of stuff went more online. And so now we're kind of pulling back to that blended learning model. So where some students are working in a collaborative group. Other students are meeting with their teacher. Some students are on the computer, maybe learning from iReady or Edpuzzle or uh, completing some type of activity on the computer. And then usually there's an independent practice type of station. So that can be done. It depends, again, on the classroom and the comforter like level of the teacher. Uh, some teachers are doing station rotation. And we've got our kindergartners doing um, station rotation as well, like it's really fun to go in and just watch those kids have a choice board or do station rotations so young. Uh, and then more in the middle schools, we're doing a lot of different like playlists. We're doing like roadmaps. We're doing game boards. Um, so it's more self-paced. And I just helped a teacher today. We made three different roadmaps that are all differentiated. And we're going to put them in Google Classroom and they're going to be assigned to different students based on their data. Uh, so really looking over that data and deciding, okay, what do these students need? But it does take time uh, to build your students up. So usually we start with station rotation and then we move to more of a self-paced type of model. Um, as the students learn the procedures, as they gain some of those executive functioning skills, such as like ownership and learning to set goals and how to advocate if they need help, um, because you can't just throw them in there. It, it's kind of yeah. a process to teach those skills. Um, and then adding those choice boards in there as well for students to have some choice in the way that they learn. So that is kind of like our model for teachers. And I feel like every August it starts back, even though you might be a pro at blended learning, just because your kids aren't. Uh, so getting them retrained and re, um, kind of doing that restart. Uh, so some ed tech tools though, that we use, we definitely use all the Google products. Um, Samantha calls me the Google princess. That's what she told me. <laughs> Um, so we definitely use a lot of Google Slides, um, Google Sheets to track data and track student progress. Um, we have a lot of like self-pacing trackers for students to check off where they are. Um, and then also like Edpuzzle is a big one so we can kind of see how students are doing. We have Hapara to monitor students on their Chromebooks um, if we need to send out any links or anything mm -hmm. like that. Edulastic is another, we have a lot of stuff. Um, but again, it's it's picking the right tool for your standard. What are you teaching? And then what tool is going to help best get you there? And sometimes it's not tech. And yep. so that's okay. Um, but sometimes it is tech. And so um, I feel like I am more of that blended learning. So like, you don't have to use tech all the time. You can kind of mix it both together. Yeah, no, I, I really like that, you know, you're focused on you know, the strategy, station rotation, and then, you know, scaffolded personalized learning, what you're talking about with those roadmaps. Um, I mean, and it all comes down to, you know, this being successful is not really the, it's not the tool. It's essentially the routines and strategies that you're using to implement. And, you know, 
that basically get your students having those digital and in-person routines so that they can implement station rotation is, um, you know, that, that takes time. And, you know, at the beginning of each year, you need to dedicate, you know, three to four weeks just to building those routines in and then um, continue to work on them as you go. But what's nice is with a lot of this stuff that you're talking about, especially with these tools, is that once you build a lot of the stuff, then you don't really need to change a whole lot throughout the year. You're just tinkering. So that's really nice. And I think just when you mentioned like a lot of these products from Canva to Edge Elastic to um, Google is that, you know, you, you don't need more than like three to five of these things. And if you build the stuff, then, um, you know, it's going to really um, be long lasting and you can just refine it over time. So I think that a lot of people think that like, oh, it's a lot of work. But if you do that work front load, then it's going to be a lot less over time. And it's going to be in terms of your workflow and um, efficiency, then it's going to just make it, I think, a lot easier. Um, maybe this is the type of person I am, but I like to do things, um, you know, front loading it versus back loading it. So um, those are just some of my thoughts. So let's, let's jump into the next question, just talking a little bit about the coaching piece now. And and right now it's really difficult because, well, a lot of teachers are, you know, just, I think 2021, 22 school year has been the hardest year ever in terms of um, just the uh, um, nature of where we're currently at with um, the expectations and demands of teachers and just the climate that we're in. And I think that a lot of that has to deal with is that the world has essentially changed and the demand of the job have changed, but a lot of, the the um the nature of teaching hasn't caught up or changed you're like the day like this notion of like a five-day school week and you'd be in seats all day and whatnot and it's just kind of just caused a lot of um you know pressure burnout etc and really coaching in this environment is extremely difficult because of just the nature of just when you're tired you don't want to listen really listen to anyone or you don't really want to do anything so what I'm very curious as to what's kind of working with you right now and how are you implementing that in your coaching and building that capacity? Yeah. Um, so one thing you kind of touched on earlier when we were talking about strategies was creating those like activities you can do over and over again. Um, so I like to call those like my rinse and repeat strategies where teachers have a template and there's not much on the template. It might just have a direction a lot of times these are edgy protocols that we like to use here mm -hmm. too. And again, you just, you just reuse them, reuse them, reuse them. So that has been really helpful during my coaching with teachers is just kind of telling them, Hey, reuse them, reuse them, reuse them. Um, some successes, especially if you're just starting out co coaching is build those relationships. Um, once you have teachers that trust you and know that you're not going to judge them, that's like the biggest thing you yeah. can let Judge your teachers. You need to keep your information confidential. If you are going to share something, do not share names. Like that is my biggest like thing is like when I hear coaches and they tell me like a name or something like that, it's like a red flag um, because no one wants to like know like, hey, this person's talking really bad about me or whatever. Like they're sharing something really personal with you that they're trying to improve on. Um, mm -hmm. so keeping that relationship confidential and then also sticking up for the teacher and thinking they know what's best for their students and they're doing the best that they can at that moment. Um, so that are just some like beginning tips. Um, also with that, 
the follow-up piece. When I first started coaching, I would suggest a new strategy um, it, to a teacher. And then I would offer, hey, have you thought about that strategy? Can I come in and help? Have you implemented it? Do you need maybe some extra templates or resources? Or did that go wrong? And do you want to see it? Mo like just following up with the teacher. And what I would do is I would put that in my calendar. So I would meet with the teacher. And then about two weeks after, I would put a note in my calendar that just said, Check in with this teacher. She was interested in this activity. Um, see if she tried it. See if she even looked at it. And so that really helped build my um, teach, like my teachers up too. And so now I've been coaching for five years, which is crazy, I feel like. Um, and I have teachers that want to meet with me every single week. And so once you have those relationships and they know that they can trust you and they can share anything with you, um, you're going to get on their schedules. You're going yeah. <laughs> to be super busy. Like now I think I'm overly busy. Um, and it's, it's really fun though, because it's, you're focusing on something different every single year. So like with one teacher, it was like station rotation our first year. Well, now that teacher is at like a self-paced classroom, students are doing different things and it's fun to see that growth and really reflect on it. Um, but again, that follow-up piece is huge and just following the coaching cycle. So the coaching cycle, I follow Google's coaching cycle. I really like their outline that they have in the coaches program. So it's finding that problem. So it's not my problem. It's the teacher's problem. Uh, so going to the teacher and just being like, what issues are you facing in education? Um, and, and really working with them and, and feeling their pain points um, because, because they are dealing with it. And I think sometimes as a coach, you forget what it's like to to be a teacher because I mean I have been out for five years that I don't remember all the parent phone calls you have to make I don't remember the behaviors I don't remember all this and so really just listening to the teacher and their pain points and um, kind of telling them like yeah I, I get it, I get it or even coming in to observe them uh, to see their pain and then after that kind of researching different ways that you can help them is the mm -hmm. next step and then no. I, mm -hmm. oh go ahead. I was just saying is that I think that, I mean, you have to find something that they really want to work on mm -hmm. and it, they have to make it like personal. And then if you really connect it to their students and to me, that is um, the key of, you know, exerting that interest. And, um, and then, like you said, I really liked how you said that just over time, if you continue to work with that teacher, then that relationship builds and you get busier and busier and busier as a result of more and more people wanting you. So that's all I wanted to say. I just think that that, I mean, I think the relationship piece and really following up, going in the classroom, be willing to co-teach um, and, um, you know, vouch for that teacher too. And, you know, have the attitude to say, we're not focusing on negatives right now or areas of improvement. We're just focused on right now. We want to grow together and we want to grow together in this. And yeah. that's kind of, to me, my, my MO and um, hopefully, you know, we don't focus on the deficit piece at all. Yeah. And I think too, sometimes coaches get out of teaching and I've heard them be really judgmental and you can't be because um, they're, they're fighting the fight and they are in the front lines of these kids. Um and so after you kind of work with the teacher and research a different strategy, you come back together and you plan. What, what is that going to look like? Um, after that, you implement. And that's that co-teaching piece. And co-teaching can look very, very different. 
Okay. Uh, so I came from a spec ed background. So co-teaching to me was normal. Um, I was an inclusion teacher who co-taught three classes every single day with the same teacher. It was amazing. And that teacher, um, we did a lot of, sometimes I would lead the class. If you walked in our classroom, you would have no idea who the spec ed yep. teacher was or who the reg ed teacher was. And that's how I wanted it. Um, but I think sometimes it is me modeling and the teacher's watching and helping. Then maybe the next class, the teacher's leading it and I'm helping. Sometimes we're team teaching and we're yep. both teaching together. Um, sometimes she's at a station, I'm at another station. Like it can look so different depending on what the teacher needs. But if you don't do that planning together, it can fail. Like I've been there, it, it fails. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll just come in. Like we'll wing it. Don't wing, <laughs> don't wing coaching. Um, always go with the teacher, plan with them, decide, okay, what are we going to do? What is the goal of this lesson? What are the standards we're focusing on? Develop the plan, develop the agenda. And then you can go in and it's even sometimes helpful if you say, I'll do this, you do that uh, during this lesson. Or, hey, I want you to watch how I'm doing this. Or, hey, I want you to watch the student. And there are some times where I build relationships with students to get in with some of those harder teachers, like those behavior kids. I, I somehow attract them for some reason. Um, but, but it really helps getting to know that teacher because I can sometimes be that PBIS reward for those students or whatever they need. Um, and then after that, it's the reflection piece. And again, that reflection piece often gets left out, but it's so important. And it doesn't have to just be um, a quick meeting with a teacher. It can be a walk and chat. It can be a phone call. It can be a text. Um, but that reflection piece of, okay, how's it going? What do you want to do next? Is there any new challenges? Um, and usually they're ready for another coaching cycle in about a week or two because of that follow up and reflection piece. Yeah, that that's huge. And I think that for um, everyone just thinking about, you know, what when we were incorporating this new strategy or in this new tool, you know, what went well? What were some areas of improvement? What, you know, how are students responding to this? Did we spend enough time building these routines or not? How, you know. Um, how did, you know, what did the outcomes look like? What did the data look like? And then, you know, moving forward and determining, you know, what's our next step. I mean, that's huge. And that's, and for me, to be honest, that's, you know, in my current role is that this is year one in that role. And I'm really, I need to focus more on that reflection piece and sequencing it. But it's, I think from where I'm at, I'm still building kind of the program. So that's something that, um, mm -hmm. Hopefully I can work on, you know, towards the end of this year in probably May, June, and then moving into the next school year. But that's that's a great piece that um, I think that we can't miss on. Even also, too, not even just the one-on-one -on -one coaching, but for the professional development series that you're doing and, and that type of work as well. Because if we're not focused on that reflection piece, um, then, you know, what are we doing? Do we know, you know, for improving or not. Right. So, mm -hmm. so let's talk a little bit. I know that we talked about, you know, your district does a lot of blended learning, but is there a specific strategy that you like to integrate with um, a tool? I, I've really been on the Kagan cooperative learning bandwagon with a lot of these um, tools, for example, Google slides. I love the strategy think, right, pair, share with Google slides, or for example, Pear Deck or Mirapod or whatever you're using. But is there a strategy that you really like using with a specific tool that you is like a is like a really like go to for you? 
Um, yeah, I feel like right now, um, my focus has been on executive functioning skills. And I don't know why, but our student behavior has increased um, this past school year like crazy. Um, and it's a skill that students need to learn how to have. They need to have this skill to do life. They need to have yeah. these skills to do be in the classroom. And so I've been working really closely with our behavior specialist, um, Tara Ruckman, and then also Ashley Neuschwander, who's the teacher that's actually implementing these crazy ideas. Um, so what we've been doing is during Ashley's morning meetings is we've been focusing on a different executive functioning skill. We first started off by giving the students a Google form that Louise helped create, and it like auto scores the kids um, information to all these different executive functioning areas. So we knew where to start um, and what was going to be most critical for these students to really help their behavior change and for them to be successful in blended learning. Um, so we started to realize that blended learning was a struggle for a lot of teachers. And it was because the students were struggling with the motivation. Um, they were playing games. They were off task. Uh, they were just idle <laughs> sitting there. Um, and so we started with goal setting. Um, so what Ashley did is she used Fast and Curious. So Fast and Curious is an edu protocol, which deals with repetition. So we were secretly doing some metacognition stuff, um, but also some goal setting. So students took their scores and they saw their improvement over time. They became so obsessed with their data um, that these kids started to set goals for different assessments and they wanted to see how they did on their test, um, especially in math. So they were on Edulastic. They have a lot of different assessments in there. And these kids would set goals and they immediately wanted the teacher to turn on the feedback so they could self-assess and see how they were doing. I don't know any sixth grader that really wants to do that without Ashley kind of planting those seeds. Um, yeah, secret planning. <laughs> I love that, Samantha. No, and I like that you're focusing on executive function. And I think that in the, in America <laughs> right now, specifically, um, right now in terms of what we're seeing in K-12 with the behaviors and the um, why, there's a lot of reasons why, but I think that we haven't focused a lot on executive functioning, not just not generally that was um, always geared towards students with special needs um, historically, mm -hmm. but really I think that what we learn most in school is probably executive functioning more than content and skill because you need executive functioning to do those things. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I feel like that we've really lacked really good like curriculum and just ways of incorporating it in the, into the classroom. And I think the, the goal setting piece and then just really drilling down those goal setting with just basic routines, even just to do a few things. And, and I think that the, the idea of sharing um, student data with students regarding their progress in a very um, productive way where that reflection takes place is something that I think should be done more because a lot of times when, for example, um, even like assessment data, even in behavior data, that, that's never shared to students. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's game changing if you can create an environment where that is, um, you know, okay for students and they feel comfortable and it's done in a way that is, um, you know, productive for them. So that that's really cool. And I think that um, we need to shift the conversation nationally to want to do, to do that type of work because I think that's what's needed. Yeah, it's been really cool. And just like you said, a lot of those really good strategies that Hattie suggests, like cooperative learning, 
Well, if you can't work in a group, and I mean, this year I've seen kids be so nasty during group work. They're arguing, they're fighting, they're blaming other people. I've even heard kids, I don't want to work with you. Um, and you you can't respond like that. And we have to teach them. And that is executive yeah. functioning, is that behavior piece of like learning response and learning how to kind of um, react when working with others. And so I really think that's, that's where we are struggling right now. So just focusing on that. And if your students are really bad at group work, you can't give up on it. <laughs> You've got to get them practicing because if you're not practicing it, they're going to continue to be bad at it. And that's a skill that they need in today's society. I mean, I work with groups all of the time and there's people I don't like, but I've got to learn to work with them. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think that, um, this idea of executive functioning, I mean, it rolls right into SEL, emotional intelligence, all these things kind of wrap. And I think that we really got to be intentional with, um, you know, a lot of these things. And I, I think that we need to really shift our conversation, at least where we're currently at about, you know, there's a lot of con talk about like learning laws, content and skills, but let's, why don't we just get back to focusing on executive functioning, emotional intelligence, social emotional learning, all that stuff will come back. Um, you know, we can get really good at, you know, working on content and everything else um, later on. I mean, that, that stuff's a lot easier versus this type of stuff that we're talking about. This is in the trenches type work. So um, definitely I, I, I want that conversation to shift towards that because that's what the kids really need. And that's what the students need across board in even adults as well. So um, let's jump into um, the second to last question though. I know there's so many tools out there this year and it feels like there's a new one every day. Um, currently for you personally, maybe this is not something you're doing with your teachers all the time, but what is your favorite go-to tool right now? Uh, my favorite go-to would have to be Canva and Google Slides. Um, I like to find different backgrounds in Canva because I think things need to be visually appealing for some students. Um, and then using it with Google Slides to make it interactive. So that is my go-to one. Also, good Pear Deck um, is a good tool that we can use. Video like Screencastify. Mm -hmm. Anywhere where we can get the kids creating um, is another like we video or them creating podcasts and we video. Flipgrid. I mean, those are really good ed tech tools too, but I, I like to provide choice when I'm using those kind of things as well. So do you want to create a video or do you want to create a poster? Like you get to choose what you want to do. You can also pick the tool because I don't care which tool you use. I just want you to focus on the content. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that I, what you're alluding to is essentially your tool agnostic until it meets your goal, right? You're going to select a tool that's going to meet that goal, right? And we want that for our students and teachers. And I've been really jumping on the on the Canva band, bandwagon and using a lot, you know, building the templates and putting it into slides or Jamboard or um, an interactive slide. I mean, because there's so many different strategies that you can incorporate into, you know, these, I call them interactive slides. There's so many different ones that you could categorize, but I think that those are some of the most powerful tools, especially for, um, you know, engaging students, cooperative learning, um, in problem solving. But um, yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't know how long you've been using Canva, but I feel like Canva's really exploded over the last 12 months. Yeah. And I was pretty upset about the EdTech madness bracket. I don't know if you were watching, but Canva, that, that hurt. <laughs> I, I like, know they got, the, they got close. I mean, I feel like they got, 
they got to the final, right? Yeah, I was hoping they would get farther. <laughs> I know. I, I was surprised, uh, to be honest, given just the, the upward momentum that it had. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people have been going on the camera bandwagon and taking that a lot of that content there and integrating that into a lot of different things. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So before we go, you know, what are two or three practical tips that you would suggest for all educators right now to amplify their practice? What would you give them right now to help yeah. them navigate now? Uh, my first one would be building those relationships um, with your students, with colleagues, with pretty much whoever you can, focusing on those executive functioning skills because they really will help you uh, and your students. And then building that PLN, get on Twitter, get on whatever social media, Instagram, TikTok, wherever you can and DM someone, DM someone that you don't know because you're going to learn something from them. And even if it's just a quick thank you for what they share, because there's a lot of educators out there that give a lot of their time and resources um, and they're underappreciated. So even if it's just a thank you, you're going to build that connection. You're going to build your network that way and then fail forward. Um, try new things. It's OK if you fail as long as you get back up and you keep on keep on going. Yeah, no, those are great. I, I, I encourage every student or teacher that I'm working with to join um, edgy Twitter and try and build their PLN. And it's great to learn from everyone locally, but also having that global network where you can go back and forth between what you're learning in your local area and what is going on globally. I mean, that there's just so much that's out there and you can open your eyes to, you know, new ideas and, and different things that you can incorporate. And I just like the, you know, what you mentioned on the relationship piece, um, I think it all comes down to what you mentioned is that connective connectedness and the relationship piece. And that will get us through, um, you know, all the challenges that we're currently in. So before we go, how can um, our listeners learn more about you and what you're currently doing? Yeah. So um, feel free to follow me on Twitter. That's where I'm probably the most active. Um, so I'm at Mrs. How 24 on Twitter. Uh, feel free to send me a DM if there's any questions you have after listening to uh, this episode. And then also you can go to my website. It's goldedu.org. Um, we do a lot of fun sessions with like make and take uh, type stuff where we create together as a community. And then you get to take all of these different ideas that all these amazing educators design during the session. So those are really fun monthly sessions. Uh, and then also on the website are a bunch of different templates that I've made for blended learning, like Usually there's a lot of Google slides <laughs> that I share um, because that's how I create a lot of, of the different things and then add the ed tech stuff into there and some of the paper activities as well. Awesome. That's great. Um, you're doing so much. You're making such an impact locally as well as globally. So I appreciate you being on. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. To our listeners that are watching or viewing this later, you can follow me at MattRhodes1990 on Twitter and go to our, uh, my website, matthewroads.com, to um, rewatch the podcast, listen to previous episodes, and you can go on to Spotify, um, Google, Apple, all the major podcast players in about um, three to four days, and this will be up there. So we look forward to our next episode. And once again, thank you so much for being on tonight, Stephanie. Yeah, thank you.